If you can turn with me to your Bibles in Exodus 3, that's going to be our text this morning. And let me just warn you, this is my first time using PowerPoint. There were a few complications in setting this up, but uh, the PowerPoint isn't the main thing. It's just, it's something extra. I hope that some of you guys have brought your Bibles uh, to church. Uh, I hope that some of you guys still bring your Bibles to church. I know we live in a um, technological age and you guys all have your phones and and sometimes we just forget our Bibles. But um, uh, yeah, um, just giving you a forewarning right now that... um, the texts, they're, they're a bit tiny when, when, uh, when we go through the text, but uh, I've got God's word here before me this morning, and, um, and I trust that he's going to bless that. Where are you at this morning? I just wanna, that's the first thing that I want to ask you. Where are you at this morning, and how is it with your soul, really? Because, brothers and sisters, you know, it's so easy for us to walk through those church doors every Sunday morning with a smile on our face, and act like everything's all right. And, as, and act as if uh, things are just happy-go-lucky for us, when in reality, deep down inside, behind the smile on our faces, there is agony, there is pain, there is suffering, because of the trials that we're going through. And when we put that smile on our face, we... We play, it's, it's as if we're playing a, a role in a movie and we play the part of a character whose, um, whose role is to, to play the joyful, happy-go-lucky character. But deep down inside, in reality, there's a lot of turmoil that's going on within our hearts. There is a storm that we are walking through. I know, I've been there. I, I, I've, uh, I, I'm going through some now and, and I'm sure that Some of you are going through some storm, some trial, some difficulty in your life right now. So again, I ask, how are you this morning and how is it with your soul really? What burden are you carrying with you this morning? What trial are you battling through? And some of you are going through trials right now that just doesn't make sense to you. Or a trial that you're going through, it, 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 that the pain is so difficult, so hard, that you begin to question if, if God is with you. Still, has he forsaken you? Maybe you've been praying and crying out to the Lord and it seems like deliverance is so far away and that um, he doesn't hear you. And there's no answer to your plea or your cry for mercy. Your faith begins to weaken because it's as if, Heaven is silent to you, and there's no answer coming your way. Well, I hope this morning that as we dive into scriptures, that um, your hearts are encouraged in the Lord, knowing that there is purpose in your suffering. I've been so influenced by the providence of God to know that there are absolutely no accidents in your life or in mine, that in everything that happens in your life and in mine, There is purpose behind it and that God is working out all things together to accomplish his will and his purpose in your life. Not your will, not your purpose, but his will and his purpose in your life. The Lord is sovereign over your pain, your trials, your suffering, your tears, all of that, just as he is over your joy and happiness. He is Lord over all, over all things that happen in your life. He is the Lord over all. 
But I believe, brothers and sisters, that even in our regenerated state, our, even in having been born again, our hearts are still prone to wander, still prone to leave the God that we love. And we forget these truths that we have read over and over. It's so easy for us to forget the things of God. Um, and when things are going so well for us in our lives, it's, it's so easy for us to forget him. Therefore, he brings affliction to you and to me. Sometimes in order to draw us back unto himself, he weans us. He uses affliction and he uses trial to wean us from getting too comfortable in this world and loving this world. Rejoicing in our sufferings isn't always pleasant. It's never pleasant. And although Paul did say rejoice in our sufferings, it's not the same thing. When he says rejoice in our sufferings, it's not the same thing as enjoying the suffering itself. It's tough. But as we look to God's word this morning, I hope that we can come to see that in the pain, in the trial, in the difficulties that we're going through, you may think that God has forgotten you. You may think that God doesn't listen to you, but he is attentive to your pleas and your cries and your trials. He knows every last one of them. He knows everything that goes on in your life. He is attentive and he will act to deliver you from your trials and he will accomplish all that he has purposed and all that he has planned. All right, it's working. Now, before we get into our chapter this morning, Exodus 3, let me just give you a brief synopsis of the events leading up to chapter 3. If you just read through chapter 1 and 2 and see the climate of what's going on in this, uh, in this book, in this passage right here, um, just the setting, if I could just use one word to describe it, it is disastrous. Um, God's people um, are in Egypt and uh, Jacob and Joseph are, are dead, and, and, uh, um, and Joseph's brothers are, are gone, and now um, uh, they, they've, uh, however, they've grown in number, and uh, they're flourishing, they were flourishing in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen specifically, and um, uh, the Pharaoh that uh, once showed favored, uh, favor to uh, Joseph and his brothers, he's gone as well, and there's a new Pharaoh that is reigning in Egypt, and he doesn't remember Joseph. And the, the favor that the former Pharaoh showed God's people. And this Pharaoh that now is reigning in Egypt, he's fearful of what might happen in the event that a war breaks out, that uh, this, the, the, the people of God, the Israelites, having grown so large in number that they might join their enemies and fight against Egypt. Therefore, what Pharaoh does is he inflicts the Israelites uh, and um, he enlists them as he makes them slaves. And um, look at this, uh, in, in verse uh, 13, chapter 1, it says that uh, they were uh, ruthlessly, um, they ruthlessly made the, the people of Israel work as slaves. And um, they, uh, th that's repeated twice in verse 13 and verse 14. And uh, not only that, not only were they made slaves, the um, Pharaoh was so fearful of them growing in number that uh, they, he even ordered the midwives to um, go into the, uh, 
the, when the Hebrew woman would uh, give birth, he ordered them to kill the, um, the male children that were born. And however, the midwives did fear the Lord, feared God, and they didn't obey that. Uh, but Pharaoh did not stop. He ordered his people to go in and um, take these male-born children and toss them into the Nile River. Um, but there was one. Uh, chapter 2 speaks about um, uh, a Levite woman, and uh, she was not afraid of Pharaoh. And rather than um, allowing her son to die or be killed by the Egyptians, uh, she, um, she floated her son, who was Moses, down the river. And lo and behold, uh, by the grace of God, he somehow happens to land in uh, Pharaoh's daughter's um, river porch. And as a result, he's uh, lifted up and uh, given a place of honor. And he becomes actually one of the princes of Egypt. Um, however, uh, Moses one day ends up killing a, um, an Egyptian soldier. And uh, after seeing and witnessing that uh, he was beating on one of his fellow Hebrews, he killed him, he hid him, and, um, and the next day, uh, trying to break up two uh, Hebrew, uh, fellow Hebrews uh, arguing with one another, they, accuse, uh, they actually could, uh, call him out um, for what he did. And uh, Moses, being fearful of um, being caught by Pharaoh, fled to the wilderness, and, um, and he became a shepherd in the wilderness, and which leads us here now to chapter 3. Uh, Moses is... Um, he, he encounters God. There's a divine meeting between God and Moses. And what God is about to do is he's about to perform an act of miracle and to put, just put his, his power, his might, his glory on display by sending Moses back into Egypt to snatch his people, Israel, out of Pharaoh's hands. And um, now this chapter is thick. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's filled with so much uh, truth that, that I don't even have the time, in, uh, the time this morning to, to, to cover everything in this chapter. Um, the most important thing in this chapter is the revelation of God's name, Yahweh, the great I am. Now, I'm not going to go into a long discussion of what that means because I, uh, a few uh, months ago, Dan Deckard had given a, uh, an excellent treatment on the, the name of Yahweh, the I am, and I encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, to go listen to it. And if you've listened to it, I encourage you to listen to it again because I thought that it was a superb treatment on the name of God, the great I am. And so um, I'm not going to cover that in length, um, but I will cover how the great I am, the transcendent God, the self-existent God, Yahweh, acts and how he re relates to his people um, where they're at. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, how does God relate to his people? Can he be trusted? Is he faithful? And we're going to see that he is. Yes, and, and, um, and that's, what we're, that's what my goal is. And um, so the first point this morning is the Lord is attentive to his people's sufferings. You can't read that. I hope you have your Bibles with you. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, I'll work on it next time. <laughs> uh, verse 7. Look, just listen to the language that uh, the Lord uses to describe his action and how he relates to his people. Verse 7. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. 
Verse 8, I have heard their cry. Verse 9, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 16, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Notice here, God's fatherly care for his children during their affliction. He sees and he hears their cry. He knows their pain. When they're getting whipped by the Egyptians, he hears. The Lord knows and he's with them. When the government oppresses them to the point of uh, tossing their children into the Nile River, the Lord is with them. The Lord sees it all. He's not shut his eyes from the afflictions of his people. The Lord, the Lord is intimately acquainted with the sufferings of his people. What about you? Do you ever cry out to the Lord? Are you ever afflicted? What sort of trial are you going through this morning? Are you going through some sort of relational trial? Maybe your children is, is going wayward, rebelling against you, or maybe a conflict uh, with your, your, uh, a child with their parents and vice versa. Um, maybe it's a good friend. Things just aren't going too well in your relational sphere and things are just collapsing and, and things aren't going too well. Maybe you're going through some sort of circumstantial trial right now. Things at work aren't going smoothly for you. And possibly uh, health complications. You have issues with your body and you're going through ailments right now. And you're going through pain. You're going through agony. Day in and day out, you wake up and you live your life having to walk through this world with physical pain, physical complications. What sort of trial are you going through? We're all going through some sort of difficulty. Behind the smiles that we put on for people, there is some sort of pain, some sort of trial that we're going through. The life that we live is a life of trial. The New Testament does it not say that he who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Trials come our way. And there are moments of respite, yes, and moments of peace and joy. However, the majority of our lives is filled with so much suffering. That's just the consequences of living in a fallen, sin-infected world. But do you believe that in the middle of your trial, in the midst of your trial, that your God knows your present state, that he knows your condition, he knows what you're going through? Do you believe that when you're crying, that he actually sees and he bottles up your tears and he does care for you? And although you may not have immediately received an answer to your prayer, do you believe that he's still there with you in the midst of your trial? He is. He is, brothers, sisters. He is. He is with us every second of our lives, whether whether we believe it or not, he's there. And I hope that this morning that, um, that if you're doubting whether the Lord is with you, whether he's still with you or he hears you, that you would come to believe in his word. Not in your circumstance, but in his word. The second point. The Lord is actively working in his people's lives to deliver them. And there's two aspects of God's deliverance that uh, we can see from this text. The first is that um, God is the primary agent 
in his people's deliverance. First, see how intimately God is involved with his people in his deliverance. He comes down. Look at that. Um, in verse 8, it says that I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. In verse 17, I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt. God not only sees you in the middle of your pain, God not only hears your cries, but he also enters into your pain, into your suffering, to deliver you out of it. God leaves his throne. He comes down to where you're at. He meets you where you're at. What a picture of the gospel. Deliverance of God through Christ who left his throne, came down to our fallen world, sin-infected world, to deliver us out of the bondage of sin and to bring us to himself. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. We have a mighty and awesome Savior. He didn't just sit in his throne looking at his people and, and uh, without a care for them. No, he sees you where you're at, what you're going through. He sees and he hears, and he is actively in pursuit of you to deliver you out of your affliction. The second aspect of God's deliverance is that the Lord uses people to carry out his plans. Isn't that amazing that God graciously enlists his people to partake in the divine plan of deliverance? Look at uh, just a few verses here. Verse 10, it says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. Verse 12, but I will be with you. I have sent you. Verse 13, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Moses speaking to the Israelites. Um, verse 15, the Lord has sent me to you. It's an amazing gift to be a part of God's divine plan in deliverance and to partake in God's divine plan of redeeming a lost people to himself. Now, when he enlisted Moses to partake in his plan, in his mission, it wasn't as if Moses was someone special. It's not as if the Lord needed Moses to accomplish his plan. God could have single-handedly wiped out the Egyptians and uh, snatched his people out of bondage and deliverance. However, he didn't go that route. He didn't. He could have, but he didn't. He took Moses, who wasn't anybody special. He was a murderer. And yet God showed him grace and God showed him mercy to partake in his plan. He graciously allows you and allows me to partake in his plan of redemption. How are you being used by the Lord in his divine plan of deliverance. How many of you are just living through life um, and, and just uh, going through life and, and just passing through, not thinking about the great opportunity and the privilege that you've been given to reach out into the dark world that we live in and proclaim Christ 
and proclaim the message of hope that is found in him and in him alone. This is a privilege. It is a gift that's been given to us to be a part of God's plan. I was speaking to um, one of my friends at um, Master Seminary, and uh, we were just chatting and uh, discussing uh, the, the opportunity that, we've, um, that uh, we were, we've been given to, um, to, be, to be in the ministry. And we were talking about struggles that we were going through and, and how uh, we were just encouraging one another. Dennis, uh, he was encouraging me first, and he said, Dennis, you know, um, fight. Um, fight sin um, because you don't want to be disqualified from the ministry. It's been a gift that's been given to us. It's, 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 uh, it's not something that we deserve, but God graciously allows us to partake in his plan of redemption. And how are you using that gift, that privilege that God has given you to be a part of his plan to reach the lives of those around you, whether in your own home, in the workplace, wherever you're at? How are you being used of the Lord to be a minister of the gospel, to be a conduit of grace and to be a conduit of God's mercy, whereby God extends his grace and mercy to a dying world through your voice, through your hands, and through your feet, just as Moses was. The next point, the third point, the Lord faithfully keeps his promises. This is the reason, the reason that the Lord acts on your behalf is because he is faithful to his word. Verses 6, 15, and 16, there's mention of the Lord being the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's repeated three times. And in verses 8 and 17, there's mention of the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. What does that refer to? In Genesis chapter 12, 15, and 17, God made a covenant with Abraham. God told Abraham that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to take you and bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey, and your children They'll, they'll multiply as great as the number of the stars in the sky. And after hundreds of years, after hundreds of years, God did not forget his covenant with Abraham. His promise to make him into a great nation and to give, him his, uh, to give his people um, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a place of rest and peace, God did not forget that. The reason why God is so committed to you and to me is because the word of his promise. Our God, the God that we serve, the God of the Bible, is a covenant-keeping God. And if you're going through affliction today, if you're going through some trial today, and you might, think, you might be thinking, you might be weakened in your faith, thinking that God is not going to uh, deliver me, God is not going to help me, God has forgotten me, you're looking in the wrong place because, uh, God, you've forgotten how God deals with you. God does not deal with you based on uh, your merits before him. God does not deal with you because of how 
awesome you are or how cool you are, how wonderful you are, how, how much you serve in the church and how well you follow the commandments. God deals with you. God loves you based on his covenant that he has made with you. He has taken you, plucked you out of darkness, brought you into the marvelous light of his son, into the kingdom of his son. Not because you and I deserved it, but because he has bound us to himself in covenant love through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we could not live, and he died the death that we should have died. He died in our place. And our merits, our righteousness, is, are based, it's based on him, based on what Christ did. And so if you're in Christ today, if you're a child of God, you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. He will never forsake you, even if you fall short of God's glory a thousand times in one day. Because those thousand times of falling short of God's glory has been taken and dealt with at the cross. When the wrath of God was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ, that was it. It was finished. The punishment and the payment for your sin and mine was dealt with at the cross. And that's how God deals with you, not based on how well you can keep his commandments, how well you can perform for him, or how good you are. It's not your righteousness that God deals with you. It's based on the righteousness of Christ and Christ alone. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. But sometimes, and, and that's, that, that melts my heart the most. Because even as a born-again believer, I still falls so short of God's glory on a daily basis. And I need to know that the way in which God relates to me is, is in a way that, that his love will never leave me nor forsake me. I need to find confidence that my God will always be with me, even when I mess up, even when I make a mess of things, or even when... Um, when things aren't going so well and, and the, the trials in my life become too much to bear. We can trust that God will see us through our affliction. Why? Because he is a covenant-keeping God. And the way in which he relates to you and me is always through covenant. And that rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. The last point this morning that I'm going to cover is that the Lord is the end of your deliverance. I think this is the most important part of God's deliverance, that, that, um, that your deliverance from your present affliction, your present trial that you're going through is not God's ultimate concern. Verse 12, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Verse 18, Mo uh, Moses and the people of God pleading with Pharaoh, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. The terminology of service and sacrifice is the language of worship. This is repeatedly stated as, as Moses, if you, if you remember, um, Moses, when he approaches Pharaoh, he pleads with Pharaoh to, to, to deliver, um, to, to let God's people go. 
repeatedly, over and over, Moses tells him, let us go so that we may go and sacrifice to God. Let us go that we may serve God. See, the purpose of your deliverance is not ultimately about you being delivered from your present affliction itself. It's not the deliverance from hardship or difficulty that God is ultimately aiming for. He doesn't deliver us from our trials with the intended goal of our relief from the pain and suffering as his ultimate end. But rather, he is the end of your deliverance. He is the end of my deliverance. Not to say that he doesn't deliver us from our present difficulties or our present trials. He does. He may or he may not. So he may not or he may deliver you from a present ailment, a broken family situation, circumstantial turmoil at work or in the family. That's not his ultimate aim, although he does do that. Our God is a mighty God, and he does deliver people from those things. But that is not his ultimate goal. Just so that you can find relief from your difficult circumstances. His goal is that you may worship him and behold the wonders of his majesty. He is the end of your deliverance. Remember Israel, um, they're, they're enslaved, right? They're enslaved right now in Egypt. And um, before, um, before they got to this stage, uh, Joseph was given favor by the former Pharaoh when they entered Egypt. And uh, what did Pharaoh say to, uh, what did Pharaoh give to God's people? He brought them, he said, you can have your, your, your father and your brothers and your people can, can live in Goshen. You know what Goshen was? Goshen was the best land in Egypt. It was the most flourishing land in Egypt. They had it all. They had the, 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 the best of the land. That's where they stayed, and that's where they flourished, and they multiplied. But as we see in this passage, when God delivers them, God doesn't deliver them to go back into their former state of life, to go back into Goshen, to restore life in Goshen. No, God was taking them out of that place, out of the land of Egypt to the promised land. It's not so, so that they could go back to living comfortably in Egypt. No, it was to snatch them out of that place, out of their worldly comfort and to bring them to a better place, to the promised land that God had promised to Abraham years and years before. And so, again, the deliverance of God is not ultimately the deliverance out of your affliction, out of, uh, or, or living a pain-free, trial-free, trial-free, difficult-free life. No, God's purpose is that he bring you to himself and that you worship him. Your deliverance ends with God. It terminates with God. And, it be, and, and it's about a life of worshiping him. 
It's not, so, so you may be going through a trial right now and your, your main goal is that God deliver you out of that affliction in order that you can live comfortably or just be relieved from the pain. Lord, I am in agony right now and I just pray and cry out that you would deliver me out of this. But for what? To what end? So that you can have peace in this world or so that you can live a comfortable free life or that you can live a trial-free life? Is that your end in being delivered from your trials? If that is your end, if that is your goal, then you've got it all wrong, brothers and sisters, because that is not the goal of God in delivering you or me from our trials. God is the end. The worship of God is the end of our deliverance. Because he doesn't promise to deliver us ultimately from every trial and affliction. He may, don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying don't cry out to the Lord to deliver you from those afflictions. But remember that our ultimate deliverance comes when we're delivered from this sin-infected world. That is our ultimate deliverance. And we can have hope in that, uh, that God will fulfill his word. And that we will one day be delivered from the trials and the difficulties of this world ultimately. So where are you at this morning? I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, where are you at? Are you in some sort of trial that seems to be too much for you to bear? Are you in uh, 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 some circumstance right now at work or in your family that is just so much for you, and it's, it's, it's getting to be so painful for you? I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that from God's word, that he hears you, he knows he will deliver you. Maybe he'll deliver you from your present difficulty, but even if not, he will deliver you ultimately when Christ returns or if Christ should tarry and, and, uh, or take you home. He will deliver you ultimately. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you that in the midst of our affliction, in the midst of our trials, you do know where we're at. You do see our pain. You do see our tears and you feel our pain, Lord, and you come down to us and meet us where we're at. Father, remind us and help us to believe these truths that we already know, God. Lord, it's one thing to know your truth in our heads. It's another thing to believe in it with our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that your people would walk out this morning trusting that you are with them, trusting that you hear them and that you know them and that you are actively working in their lives, Father, to deliver them. Father, we thank you that you've taken us and plucked us out of darkness, Lord, to live a life, Lord, of, of worshiping you, God. Lord, as we walk out in this place, may our hearts look to you and trust in you in all things. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.